Hi, I'm Mary Michon, and you're listening to Your Midwest Garden Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Ork, the Garden Guy. Today we're at Bensell's Greenhouse with Mary Michon, and she's the proprietor of Bensell's Greenhouse, who is located in what? On Door Street, West Toledo. We are going to talk houseplants, aren't we? Yes. But before you go there, Mike, uh oh, we have a little housekeeping to do. Oh yeah, you I want, got a great You want me to remind you from the you last did. show? He did. He's flagging me. We want to make sure this is spring. So, well, actually, it's a little before spring. Everybody in their neighbor is getting so excited right now. They're getting the seeds. And they're going to get going on their planting. But I want you to make sure you know what you're going to plant. Let's say if it's a vegetable garden, get your seeds all lined up. Have your garden all lined up. Where you're going to put these things after you get them started. Starting them in flats. Getting the proper amount of potting soil. Not soil, not dirt. Potting soil. And then get ready. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us at your Midwest Garden Podcast. Right, Scott? Well, correct, but they also could take a listen to Nick Botek episode from season one. Oh, that's right. We had a we had a forty five minute conversation with him. That was two years ago. Two years ago, Nick yeah, Botek, and I think season one. It's probably our third one, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Early yeah. on, season yeah, early on, easy to find on any of the uh, uh, apps or on the Budsprout site that we use. You can scroll down to season one and hit. Uh, uh, seeding, uh, I forget what the title is. Something about seeding well, with Nick, Nick Botek. Nick was, yeah, he was he was doing things for that was basically going to be sustainable. Now, for those of you who are wondering what that was, sustainable. That's a four-syllabled word. It just means that it's going to be self-supporting. Um, it's going to be something continuous. And we're doing it. We're growing things. Let's do some pretty and let's do some sustainable at the same time. Okay. All right, Mike. Thanks for the reminder. I, I knew uh, there was something. Welcome, I knew there was something you wanted me to hit you up again on the housekeeping. But where are we today, and why are we here? Well, I get to smell greenhouse again. It's been this greenhouse. Months. I'm telling you, this is filled with oxygen. Do you know what creates the oxygen here? <laughs> plants. The plants themselves. Today yes. we're going to be talking indoor house plants. They're powerful. They make their own food, and they give you oxygen. Yeah. I mean, did you ever try living without plant life? No. That's what got rid of everybody, the dinosaurs, a long time ago. I mean, there was no sunlight. They say it was a, an asteroid. came down and goes, poof. They ate <laughs> all know, the plants. Blocked out the sunlight, and then the dinosaurs go, poof, boom. They're no longer with us. But then the sunlight started to come back in. The plants started coming back in. One cell, you know, amoeba, all the way up to, you know, tropical plants. Now, mind you, indoor house plants, which we're talking about today, are tropical, aren't they? they With are. me today is Mary Michon. She's the proprietor of this place. And I want you to reintroduce yourself. Explain how you did this, what got you interested in it, and why you're doing this. <laughs> how much time do we have? No. As long as you want, we'll cut no, it down. No, no, no. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Mary Michon from Bensell Greenhouse. I, I'm thrilled to be here. This is, I, I can't stop talking about plants, so I'm in the perfect position right now. I've been here for 15 years, took this over from the Cell family, and um, really I was a customer here for almost seven years, and I just loved it. Um, I, like everyone else, was a little underwhelmed pulling into the driveway. That's why I've kept it the way it is, because when people walk through the front door 
and they see what is inside, it's a totally different situation than what they see outside. Well, it's so, like Dorothy opening up from black and white, you know, and the Wizard of Oz, right. and then going, oh, my goodness, all these munchkins and elves, and it's just beautiful in here. Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky I get to come here every day. So. Well, there's a reason for everything. Yeah, and so, like I said, I've been here for 15 years. Um, my background is uh, nursing and then pharmaceuticals for about 20 years. And um, I grew up basically on my grandparents' farm and with my mom and dad always gardening, my mom always having houseplants. You know, I was that person in college that grew tomatoes and peppers and cilantro on the side of a house that I rented and made my own salsa and drank my own beer. So You made your own beer? Uh, no, I didn't make my own beer. I oh. made I drank beer while I made salsa. Yeah, yeah, college, <laughs> so, you bring your own beer. Nothing yeah. wrong with that combo. Yeah. It's hard to hang on to at that yeah, point. Yeah, but I, um, you know, always had something. When I was in college... You know, and I lived in um, Wisconsin, there were no greenhouses. So I'll tell you this real quick story. Um, when I was in second grade, my dad was an ag guy, and he um, always into agriculture, always into farming, and um, there was a greenhouse in my hometown, and it was a glass greenhouse, and the only thing they grew was poinsettias and daylilies. And he, he thought he wanted to buy it. So I know my dad had the same feelings that I had, and when I was in second grade, I remember um, going to this greenhouse and holding his hand, and we walked into this doorway where they opened it up, and it was full of only red. There were no other color poinsettias at that time. And I remember starting to cry. I was in second grade. And I'm like, my dad has got to buy this. It was the most beautiful experience. I'll never forget that. And I, I don't have that feeling as much anymore because it's more of a labor of love. But I still do. When I walk into any greenhouses, I am overcome with just a sense of just a calm. It really is a calm. It's part of you. I mean, can you feel the vibes that these things are emitting? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just uh, it's so fun to just come in and see new growth and see a, a new bloom. You know, something pushing through the soil, seed starting. This is my favorite time of year because I'm I'm sowing seeds watching little heads pop up out of the soil. Giving him the, and come on, you just, can do this. And this is what everybody, I think that over the last couple of years, this is what everybody is feeling. I think they're, the nurturing and people is coming out. Um, and it's increased over over the last couple of years. People are getting more into houseplants. I've seen vegetable gardening increase, but now the houseplant situation well, is different. Well, that's why we're here. We want to find out. Now, you're a multifaceted individual. I mean... You've got tropical plants, you've got perennials, you've got annuals, you've grow vegetables, you grow everything. You're also, well, we want to be able to capitalize on you being a guest multiple times throughout the season. Today, though, being that it's overcast and everybody's got that syndrome, it's called sad. Yep. Being that it's, you know, overcast, it's, what is it, seasonal uh, Seasonal depression? affective depression disorder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're finding out whatever we want to call that. But I'm finding out that people are going out and getting plants, yep. and it's perking them up. It's helping to take them out right. of their depression. And even more so if people are actually putting their hands in soil and repotting things. You think that's, that There's a lot of studies to show that the microbes and all of the little microbiomes within soil is very beneficial to people. It does help them. It does, you know, especially children. They need to get back in the soil. There's nothing wrong with eating a mud pie, you know. No. They, people are got away from all of that. And, you know, you got to be careful now. If you're treating your lawn a lot, you're not going to go outside and dig that all up. But, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, there is a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of studies online and I have a, I went back in 2013, I got a master's in horticultural therapy and really it was this research, research, research about what plants can do for people. I've seen it firsthand. I'll be the year before I got into school, one of the first customers that had come in, um, of the day, whatever day it was, was a lady. She walked in, I said, hello. She walked to the end of our main aisle and she just started crying. And I'm like, oh, boy, you know, what do I do? Do I go help her? What's going on? And I just asked her if she's okay. And she said to me, I've been diagnosed with cancer the second time. And the only place I could think of that would calm me down was this greenhouse. And I thought, you know, and it happened over and over and over again. People coming in and saying, it just calms me down. I feel better now that I've been here. And I'm like, there's got to be something to this. And found horticultural therapy. And now I utilize the whole theory of that with growing you know we are a retail business i do grow to sell but there is a lot to it and there's psychology to plants i love seeing people coming in all prim and proper and tight and then i watch them walk around and you know what they'll get the wildest looking plant and people are creative and this is a way for you to get out of your element to get away from what you think is right or wrong and experiment and be creative and put things together and take cuttings and propagate and all of that. And it's so beneficial. Well, my daughter-in-law, I was in Georgia a lot this last year, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But each time I went back, she had a different plant. And it's almost like she would talk to them, but she, she wanted to make sure. See, I, my, my, my son was... Was she killing the previous one? <laughs> yeah. Pardon me? Was she like me and killed the previous one? No, this is just it. She okay. was asking me to maintain them, and I'm just going... Because uh, she was going, and uh, back and forth, she was working. My son has been deployed overseas. The kids are at home and said, I can play grandpa. I'll sit here. And she asked me to watch him, but there were certain things on certain plants that would have certain types of symptoms, like overwatering. When you yeah. see on the tips of the leaves itself, yep. and it's yellow, that turns the paper bag brown, that's usually the first indicator you're giving him too much water. Right. Um, again, Mary, I got to tell you, I don't know a whole bunch about tropical plants right. or indoor house plants. But what is the definition of an indoor houseplant? Well, I mean, is it strictly a tropical plant or is it any t- plant that you bring indoors? Well, not really. I mean, you can bring a vegetable inside and see what happens. I mean, you can treat it like that. But a houseplant is really basically a plant that can survive indoors under certain conditions. And that's not everything. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about, um, I just want to get into a little bit of a basic anatomy about a plant. And I think that's really helpful for most people. There has been a lot of research out there about showing how plants can provide oxygen and they clean the air and all sorts of things. There's a lot of, actually, there's a few physicians in Toledo that recommend um, that uh, uh, parents put houseplants in their children's room who have asthma because it does help clean the air. There's a lot of things in your house that cause chemicals. Just ripping a paper towel on, on your paper towel holder, just ripping that. See that dust? That you, that it, it, the dust, even that produces a chemical because those paper towels have been treated by something. New flooring, yeah. new carpeting, uh, you just painted your house. All of those things, you know, you brought in a new couch. All those things can cause chemicals and plants can clean the air, although they all do it at different times. So I don't know all of the, I don't, you can't go through the greenhouse and say, when does this one clean the air and when does that one clean the air? I don't know all of that, but I do know how it happens. But, 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 but you got like 42,000 plants in here right, right now. Right, right. You know the idiosyncrasies of these plants? Most of them you do. And 
you know, if you walk through our greenhouse, you're going to see right now, because it's a cloudy day, you're going to see leaf drop. You're going to see some yellowing. You're going to see, you know, some discoloration, some purples and things like that. And that shows you that, you know, you need to do a little fertilizing. But it's very specific here, and I have to water. We have ice-cold water, which plants don't like, everyone. Tempted water is the best when you're watering your house plants. But there's always there's always an aside to that. There's a couple plants that I know of that prefer colder water. and um, But, you know, this is the time of year where people are going through. Um, January and February is your highest amount of bugs. That's when you're going to find bugs the most because of dry, still air. They've flown into your house. They've come in when you carried your plants back indoors. And they sit and wait until the heat comes up, and then there's dry, still air. And so this is where I'm finding lots of people sending me pictures and saying, I got a problem with bugs. It's just, I have, I've just threw away two bugs at my house. So, um, but I, I wanted to get back and talk to you a little bit about anatomy. So we have pores on our skin. Yeah. They open and close, cold water, hot water. Those are called stomates. Stomata. Stomata. Yes, yes. And so that's what a plant has, their pores. So if you think about a plant having pores and it's the underside of their leaf, that's where the carbon dioxide and the oxygen is going in and out for respiration, transpiration, and photosynthesis. Stomata are the key to that. And so that's what opens and closes. And the stomata are all different sizes depending upon the plant. So when you have a very low light plant, there's larger stomata because the t- it needs to open up wider to obtain the right amount of light and do the things that it needs to do. And then, so you have a bright light plant, the stomata are smaller. And so people just need to know that that's what the activity is on the underside of the leaves. It's like the iris of your eye, dark and light. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that's just, and that's, they do most of the, that's where most of the work is, other than the xylem and phloem, which is the, you know, going up and down of fluids and nutrition and all of that. But, you know, that's, you know, I don't know if we really need to talk about that, but that does help because well, that's, plants. That's helping to explain how they, 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 they absorb moisture or. They would get rid of mo- too much moisture right, or right. CO2 is being taken in. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, all 16 people in your, you know, your close family out there breathing on a plant. No, no. Um, what? But they do recommend, like if you have a six-inch potted plant, they do recommend between six and ten six-inch plants per room. Unless six it's a really and sm- ten six-inch right, plants per room. To, to help clean the air. You can't just take a little four-inch pot of spider plants, stick it in a large living room, and expect that to take care of all the air problems that you have. But a six-inch pot or plant is really, I don't want to say huge, tiny, but it's not big. I mean, can you then, if you had a 12 to 14-inch pot of something yep. and another 10-inch pot of something, did, could you get away with three versus you could. the six? Yep, absolutely. Yep. All right. That's, yep. that's cool. And just think about, like, right now at this time of year, you know, I'm watering my house plants a little bit more just because the air is very, very dry. And that's what bugs love. They love dry air. Dry, they like still it dry. air. They don't like the humidity. They don't like humidity and they don't like airflow. And so I always tell people, put a little oscillating fan on their house plants. If you have a cluster, a lot of people are collecting things right now or they have cabinets right. where they're putting strip lighting in and they're putting their plants in there. Sometimes just um, putting a little oscillating fan on gets your leaves moving, the stems moving, and bugs don't want to settle on a plant that's got a lot of movement. Well, you don't have to have it on the plant either. I mean, if you have an oscillating fan, it's to help to circulate the air in the house as well. Yep. 
Yep, so and it doesn't have to be huge, you know. You don't have to have a huge floor fan or anything uh, yeah, like that. But, yeah. you know, there are just some little techniques, especially with people who, you know, we have people that come in here and say, I have 50 to 150 plants. That's so, where I'm going to go to. I mean, yeah. this, this is more than a compulsion. This is an addiction, and there's no 12-step program That's for right. it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I got, did a little bit of homework. I looked up the top 10 indoor house plants. Okay. I'm going to go through the list of these and see how well you can remember them, but... The top 10 or the most popular, okay. i.e. number one is the peace lily, and I'm not going to go with the botanical terminology. See, you're shaking your head. This is why the Internet is never right. Spathophyllum is a peace lily, yeah. The what? Uh, Spathol I'm just bragging. Spathophyllum. Yeah, I don't know all the technical names. Sometimes spell. I have okay. a brain fog. The parlor so. palm, flamingo mm -hmm. lily, English ivy, Boston fern, variegated, uh, 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 what is this, a variegated something stunk, skunk plant? No, snake plant, snake a variegated plant. snake yeah. plant, spider plant, corn plant. Okay. Um, and then you've got the ivy, another so, variety of ivy. In this area, I'd put snake plant number one. Um, corn plant is up there. Um, I don't know what that, there's a flamingo lily? Yeah. It's what a, is that? It's a peace lily that we had, and then we have, what flamingo is that? Flamingo lily. I don't have any idea. Where did a peace oh, lily, man. parlor palm, flamingo lily? I just looked at them. It was kind of pretty. It was just... It looked more tropical than I think anything else. Okay. But when it came down, and this is this is nationwide. It isn't just for the Midwest. Right, exactly. And so things so, are a little bit different here. Peace lilies, I think people, they're beautiful, but they're temperamental. And I think people are looking for more of a resilient plant. Yeah. That they have, but, you know, there are some plants out there that I think people love to just nurture and play with that might be a little bit tougher. And I'm all for that. I think it's, you know, once you get... Um, Exposed to plants, try, start off with something simple and then up your game. You know, don't start off with something super difficult. In other words, right you have training the wheels on and then take them off gradually. That's right. Before you yeah. go to a, you know, a motorcycle, Harley Davidson's, you know. Uh, start you, with you, a pedal bike? Yeah, <laughs> start with the pedals first yeah, and then yes. work your way up to the road king. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, you know, there's a lot of people that are just, you know, they'll come in and they just want something very easy and simple because they've not had real good luck. But there's so much behind the scenes with all of that. And I, I just try to ask a few questions with people. You know, where are you getting your plants from? What kind of soil did they come in? You know, you have a lot of box stores that um, bring their plants in with that cocoa mulch stuff. And that's a difficult one in a, as a homeowner to continue with. It's really, um, it's just a hard, it's, it's a good for a drip system when they're mass produced down in Florida area. People... You know, that's a good thing um, because they can just put them on a drip system and they're watered and fertilized at the same time. But once you get them, I if I bring plants in from Florida, if we do large plants, I always get them up and out of that cocoa mulch stuff. I like to know my soil and soil is crucial. So no organics. Um, can I say what do you name mean brands? No organics? Well, organic soil to me, which I've used many, many times, seems to be a little barky. It seems to have a little more, more sand, and it's a heavier soil. It doesn't have as much peat in it, and it doesn't have, like, the vermiculite and perlites in so it. So you just want the peat, vermiculite, perlite, that combination so you can add your own if, nutrients to it. Right, exactly. Okay. So you don't want, you don't want, I mean, there are certain plants. I know, like, everybody's into the philodendrons and the monsteras, the aeroids, as everyone calls them, and they're all creating their own mixes, which I think is kind of cool, too. Um, I don't do that in my own house. I like to put all my plants in the same soil. I might add something to cactuses and succulents, but you got to start from the pot up. 
and if you know what your soil is, if you're buying a good quality soil, and there's a lot of soils out there that have these great name brands, but they're not good. I look at uh, soil for about 25 to 28% peat in it. That's what you want. Otherwise, peat holds all your fertilizer. It holds moisture for too long, and it doesn't release it. And then if it gets soaking wet, then it's wet for too long. And so your plants swing back and forth, back and forth. Well, then, since you've, you said that, you know, 25 to 28% peat, um, what's the other 75 to 73% consistent of? It's going to be ground-up barks, perlites, vermiculite, um, all those other stri- substrates that they put in there. So it's really a soilless mix. There's no dirt. Soilless soil, right. So it's not dirt from outside. Okay. Now, is there a specific, uh, I don't want to go by name brands, but right. do you have a specific, that you're, do you get it from Canada? Do you get it from the South? Where do you get your soilless soil from? The soil mix that I get is Canadian peat. So it a does straight come, Canadian peat. Yes, and there's a Southern, like there is a peat in Georgia somewhere. There is a peat place down there, and that's, that is, I mean, that's not a bad soil either. There's a lot of professional-grade soils, and I'm just going to throw some out there. There's Good. Berger. It's called Berger. Or Berger, people say it. That's called Berger. Fafard. I don't even know if Fafard is around anymore. I always pronounce it Farford. Right. I think it's Fafard. Mm-hmm. Fafard. I don't know. We can call it whatever <laughs> we want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the Pro Mix. Um, Sunshine to me. I have had sun, sun, Sunshine Mix. It's a little bit on the decline. I'm not happy sunshine about it. Sunshine is going out. Right. I think it's just, I have, but there's so many different, there's different varieties. See, I have the option of looking at whether or not I want a perennial mix that has more bark, so it's better draining for perennials in a pot. Doesn't mean anything about a perennial in the ground. The whole different ball game, but when we plant up perennials for outdoors in pots, just to keep them going and have a better quality plant in a pot, we want a higher grade bark in there. We want more bark in our soil. So I do a perennial mix, and then we do just a regular growers mix for indoor house plants. And I've trialed lots of them, and I just am sticking with what I have. Well, there, you said one variety, for instance, there's ProMix. Yes. ProMix is out there for almost everybody and anything that they want to grow, and you're getting a high quality. Mm-hmm. There's one that's called HP. There's one that's called BX. BX, um, yeah. Now, the BX has the mycorrhizae in yep. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The HP stands for high porosity, which is more perlite. Right. Do you just go with the basic? I'd usually, yeah, I just do the BX. Okay, something yeah. that's been there forever. Yeah. And it, it does fine for you for the plants to. We do con- the mycorrhiza though too. I do have that in it, and I do like that. I, you know, I'm not like done any trials or anything like that, but it's available, and I think it's a benefit. I think it's helpful to the root system of your plant. So okay, the mycorrhiza definitely is. You mm-hmm. and I both are on that plateau. However, there's somebody that's got the PhD that came out and said there is absolutely no benefit to mycorrhiza whatsoever. I didn't and know I'm going, you know, this is kind of schmutzy. I mean. What did you do? Did you buy your diploma? Um, I, I, I was really kind of arrogant. But at the same time, I'm saying, you know, what is mycorrhizae? It's a bacillus. Yeah. There's a symbiotic relationship, I guess, with the mycorrhizae and the root system of the plant. Mm-hmm. Now, the mycorrhizae that's mixed in with the promix or a lot of these soils will attach itself to the root system of the plant. Does it take what the plant is not having direct access to? It's basically taking it, breaking it down, and making it more accessible to the to the root system. That's of the plant. pretty much what it is. It's really what it is. It's just making that root system do a better job. 
Wonderful. Really what it is. Now, does that mean that you're going to notice that your house plant's going to accelerate no. in growth? No. No. It just gonna, means that you're going to have a healthier. Mean, you just have a nice, healthy plant. It might be able to withstand a little bit of a neglect in it. It may not. I, I you know, I like I said, I we'd have to do some research ourselves. Sure. And it may it may be too that you know when they're doing trials on mycorrhiza, they might be doing it, and it's very specific. Maybe they're not stressing their plants out. Maybe they're just growing them exactly as they're supposed to be grown, and they're not looking at the differences between the two. I don't know. I just think it's, you know, it's why we're all taking vitamin C. Do you see it? Do you feel it running through your body? Do you hear it? You know, what's going on? I don't know, but we know vitamin C is helpful to our system. So that's mm-hmm. the same story. Same story. It's not hurting us. I know that. <laughs> so, you know, I don't see anything floating. I don't see any colorful firecrackers or whatever going on in the soil. But, you know, I have read lots of things. I've gone through some classes. Well, you think that's why we asked you to come and on board. I just, you've been doing this for how many years now again? Well, I've been here for 15 years, but prior to that, a few more well, years. Yeah, you'll other forget more than most yeah. people will ever learn. You know, the list on um, the top plants, I know that NASA came up with their list, and they only studied a very specific space number. space agency? Yeah, yeah, they did. They studied the um, airflow and movement and health of all your plants and who does a better job. And I think that list kind of comes from there because Boston fern, it's not an easy one to have at this time of year in your house. It's going to drop a lot of leaves, and it's going to dry up and all that. So, I mean, they're they're beautiful and they're fun, but there's a lot of different options out there for Boston. Um Snake plants, I think, are really popular right now. Um, what else did we have? The rubber tree. You mentioned a rubber tree. Those are very popular. Spider plant Spider is somebody. Every office is, has got oh one. Oh, my gosh. It's so easy. Of course, your pothos and philodendrons, those aren't on the list. And no. those are See? the top ones. Right now, people are collecting all of those different varieties, and they're very easy. So some of those, you know, those lists, like I said, like you had mentioned very early on, and those are nationwide, Yeah. but we're in the Midwest, and so some of those things just aren't going to be ideal year-round in our situation. And so that's the one thing I like is if people come in here, I can at least kind of push them into the right areas because they might have that list in hand. We've had people come in and need lavender because they read it makes them sleep better. Well, you can't take a perennial lavender and stick it next to your bed. It's got to go dormant. It's it's got to go dormant, but there's like a Goodwin Creek lavender. But again, if it's sitting next to your bed, what kind of light is it getting? Well, not only that. I mean, you know, we got people that bring in, uh, like Scott, for instance. He lines his backyard. He's a Jimmy Buffett person. He's got tequila all over the place. There's, you know... Reggae music that's playing continuously, man. And he, you know, has to bring these plants indoors. Right. Otherwise, they're not going to survive. Right. Well, he brings them indoors, and he's got, you know, and they just did a new kitchen and everything. But I think what he was really barking about, he wanted to make sure, he goes, I got insects in the house now, and they're eating my plants. Yep. Well, I wanted to blame him for it. Yeah. But he, I mean, Scott. You, so you stole my thunder, and I, I didn't steal your thunder. And, I'm just basically I, blaming it, you for. Well, no. Well, we were ta- Mary mentioned bugs not too long ago yeah. in the conversation, and let's help our listeners and let's give them some tips on how to combat those. Yep. And w- I mean, you're going to have them, right? So uh, how do you? If you have bugs, you're going to or plants, you're going to have bugs. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I have bugs in the greenhouse. I can't irradiate the place, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Treat every week. Um, number one, most of your bug things here that we use as a, a professional grower type of thing are nerve blocks. 
You know, well, they've got... beneficials, too. There are beneficials, and we do that more now, and we do more organic types of sprays and things like that. And those are more those are more available to people. I've heard people, you know, getting ladybugs and releasing them in their house. It's not going to last very long, and they might eat a few bugs. They released them in the house? Yeah. Wow. That was, yeah. Now, see, that, that's something... I, I know Scott wants to control, but is there any type of, like, a natural insecticide that you can put in the plant? Yeah, I mean, there are things out there, pyrethrin, which is the chrysanthemum oils from chrysanthemums, but you have to be really careful about burn with that. Um, I've used something called cinnamite. It's kind of on on the cusp of being somewhat organic, but not. It's a cinnamon oil, and it kills bugs on contact more like a white fly or a very immature mealy, immature scale, which they don't have that coating. That's called cinnamite? Cinnamite. And that works really well, and I think you can order that online, but people really need to be cautious. I think one one time somebody sees a bug, and then they just go haywire, and then they go and they just use a, a systemic, and then they're using neem, and, and then this plant all of a sudden three weeks later is gone. Yeah, the neem, I, I've known a lot of people that have used it way too much. They I mean, would, they're out there every other day putting more thing. and more neem on there. I think what people need to do, okay, so let's start. You take your plants outside. You yeah. take them outside in the summer. It's the best thing for them. They get natural lighting. They get natural humidity. You know, they get rainwater, which plants just grow differently with rainwater than they do with tap water. So... Um, so yeah, I, we talked about that. Yeah. yeah, and so I just think that that's, you know, you got your plants outside and everything's really doing well. And, and then people call and say, okay, I'm bringing my plants in, so what do I do? So you might have little centipedes and millipedes and things like that have crawled into the pots from the hole, drainage sure. holes in the bottom. It's not a bad thing. They're organic. They're breaking down any of the bark components. You know, there are certain ones that might feed off the root system, so you want to be careful, like slugs and things like that. But you can do... Let's start in the pot, and you can do a tablespoon of bleach and a gallon of water. Is it going to be super effective? You're not going to know unless you actually remove your plant from the pot and see what's going on. Tablespoon of bleach to a gallon of water. And what that does is that typically will kill any larva of, like, fungus gnats or things like that. How do you apply it? You just pour a tablespoon of bleach in your water, your pitcher, and then you water your plant in. But the one thing that people never do... And this is the thing, and our website got hacked, so I don't even think our website is up. But there's a video I have on there of a tropical hibiscus because everybody has these beautiful hibiscuses and they want to bring them in and all of that. So what I recommend to people do is before you bring your plants in, and I always recommend bring your plants in when the outside temperature mirrors the inside temperatures. Don't wait until the first threat of frost. Everybody waits, and now you bring your plant in and you got 38 degrees, and your house is 70. You Shock. got a 40-degree difference, and then everything crashes. Shock. And then everybody goes, oh, my God, my plant's dying. I got to water and fertilize it. So now you've given it too much water. You got two strikes against you. And it's not going to process the nutrients because no. it's just it's under duress. Right. So you got to slow it down. Before you bring, bring your plants in, I usually try to start bringing my plants in the first part of September. And it still could be 75, 80 degrees outside. It could be. But the nighttime temperatures are starting to drop. And that's what I look at is nighttime temps, not daytime temps. And so lift your plants out of the pot. Look and see what's going on inside there because most people will have a very pot-bound plant. If it's pot-bound and you bring it in, watering it is going to be totally different in the winter than if it had some extra soil to maintain some moisture. 
to retain So it. if it's pot-bound, there's less soil, more roots. You're watering it, it drains through quickly. You need to cut that root system by one-third. I usually lay the plant on its side, take a serrated knife or saw, and cut a third of the root system away, stand it upright, and go down at a, at a V. I cut from the top down, and, 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 and I make a V. And then you pack your soil a little bit at the bottom, and you pack your soil around the sides. And then what happens is all through the winter, as your plant is somewhat dormant, because they will with our weather here in the Midwest, it's very dreary and cloudy. We may have, what, one day of sun a week. Your plant is going dormant because of that. So it's not actively growing unless you're putting lights on, and we need to talk about that too. Then what you do is you water your plants well, and now there's extra soil in there, and it has a good water-holding capacity when you get into the dry months of January and February, and then the roots start growing over the next few months. You don't have active growing up on top because it's cloudy, but you have good root growth in the, in the pot itself. And then all of a sudden, March comes along, and ping, 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 you have this beautiful green leaf growth. You have, like if your plant has shedded, you now have side roots growing on the side of the pot. You have roots growing down below, and it's supplementing that by bursting at different levels throughout the plant up above ground. Okay, you said something about lighting. Mm -hmm. There's a popular trend right now among indoor growers, whether it's a house plant or whether it's something else that may or may not be legal in the state. Um, And we're not going to judge but, I mean, there's, it's the lighting itself that used to be from high-pressure sodium to a metal halide. Now there's the lighting that's out there that is multi-spectrum. Um, Wavelengths, yeah, different It's, it's got a total, and it used to be like flat-screen TVs were. Right. They used to be $2,000 a hit. And yeah. I mean, you know, you only could look at it and dream on. Now you can get one for $200. Yep. Now you're getting um, the lights that are full-spectrum. Right. And they're called LED lighting. Yeah. Where you're going to get everything. You're going to get your oranges. You're going to get your blues. You're going to get your purples. Reds. You're going to get. Mm-hmm. But generally, the plants will know from a 12-hour day of sunlight or 16-hour day, depending. And then when the days start getting shorter, do you have to do that on a cyclical you do. thing? You should. Yeah, most people don't. They turn them on and run them. And that's yeah. the thing is that this is where, like, every single plant, you have to think about the plant in a pot like it's in nature. And so what I do is I research where did this plant come from? Is it South American? Is it the Philippines? Is it India? Is it what's the climate there? And you need to provide as much of that climate and that atmosphere that the plant originated from. You can't just take like you said a banana tree, put it in a pot and just set it in a corner in your house and expect things to just go crazy. And it doesn't always work like that. It needs supplemental lighting. And a lot of people nowadays, I love that they're doing this because it's very helpful. My son started doing this with some of his bonsai, and it makes a world of difference because, like like we have today, it's very cloudy. It's not, it's dark by 536 now. You don't have 14 hours of daylight. Natural sunlight is gone. We just have clouds. It's a whole different spectrum of lighting. So when you put supplemental lighting on, every plant requires a different amount. On the average, most of your house plants would need about 12 to 14 hours of, of the LED lighting with the blue and red wavelengths. Right. Some of them require up to 16 hours if they're flowering plants. So if they're flowering, they need about 16 hours. See, that's the emphasis I want to put on it. You've got to know the idiosyncrasies of your plant. I mean, mother-in-law's tongue doesn't really have a pronounced flower to it. 
Right. But it's it's the the exposure to the blue. Right. Um, that the leaves themselves take in so that they can process their own food. Correct. Yes. But you're 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 talking also the yellow or the orange for the flower. Right. Now here's the, here's the deal. Uh, a lot of people, if you've got a spring bloomer, do you have any perennials? Not perennials, but do you have any indoor house plants that are going to bloom on a continuum all season long? Or is there just going to be a specific time that they're going to be blooming? The one plant that comes to mind is the African violet. That one is a continuous bloomer as long as it's given the right amount of light and water. Those things, most people I know have said, I've had it blooming for years. And they are fertilizing it and they're watering it properly. So that comes to mind. A lot of the other things are all cyclic. They're, they're not going to be ever blooming. But you can you could try that. You could put, like, look at a jasmine. You could try to fertilize it and put extra light on it. I think you're stressing your plant out. And we all, plants you're putting need, it on steroids. Right. And that's, plants yeah. need to hibernate. They need a dormancy period. And a lot of times when they're in your house and you never move them indoors or outside and your house is, let's say, on the average between 68 and 72 degrees all year long, the plant eventually is not going to do or not going to be as beautiful as it normally is over the time. So you got to change it up. We're coming out. This is now March. We're, 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 we're looking forward to the spring now season. But over the holidays, people were giving us gifts or they've had grandmothers Christmas cactus, right. or they called them Thanksgiving cactus, Christmas cactus, and there's, I mean, are there three different varieties of cactus there like are, that? There are, but you really don't see too much. Uh, the, the Thanksgiving Christmas cactuses have really kind of molded into one. Okay. Very rarely will you see any real difference. They need, do they need to go into a cold, dark room in order for them to stimulate their budding? I do. I do. When we grow them here, usually they get full as much sunlight all throughout the summer as possible. And then I stick them under benches, usually September, October. So they go dry and dark for a few months. And then we, bam, we bring them back out into some light. We give them a little fertilizer and then all of a sudden pop, 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 pop. People have Christmas cactuses and and Thanksgiving cactuses, you know, and they, oh, mine started blooming this summer in August. And basically your plant is just saying, I'm ready. Right, I'm, what about the poinsettias? I mean, you know, they, they give them, hello, yeah. Merry Holiday. And yeah. then, you know, they give a little one or a big one. Um, what do you do with that? Well, I'm, that's the same story. You know, eventually what's going to happen is the red colors or the whites or the pinks or whatever color you have over time. I mean, I've kept ours if we've had any left over. I keep them, and they really resort back to their natural. If anybody has been in the California area, oh, Mex- they're, oh they're beautiful. Yes. They're so unique looking, um, and they're smaller. They're smaller leaves, you know, bracts are smaller, all of that, so... Um, yes, of course, you have to, you know, people throw them in a closet and all that, but... That's to get uh, the bright red in that. The, yeah. the, what we've done is we've allowed them to go in. We've taken the four and a half to six inch pot. We put them in a bigger pot. We take it outdoors to the patio. Yeah. You give it the sunlight that it needs. Oh, my goodness. Those suckers can get four plus foot in height. They, they you do. Upcan them. Yeah. And then the, the leaves are totally unique. you got salmon color. Yeah. you got oranges. Yeah. you got bright yellows. I mean, it's like... That's a point set up. People would ask. It's a neck breaker. Now let's get back to. I was getting off a little bit on a tangent here on other plants. <laughs> yeah. You think? So well, we, well, we thanks, Scott. I mean, we my, talked a little bit about like what I said, like bringing your plants and everybody. You know, since we're into March already, people have already gone through a lot of this um, troublesome times with their plants. But like I said, lift your um, lift your plant out of the pot. Check the root system in in late fall before you start bringing your plants in. 
and then trim the roots if you can, if you feel that that's necessary. Some plants like to be pot-bound, so you got to know your plant. Get them inside and put them in the best lighting that you can. And realize that as we move through the winter in the Midwest, you know, eastern exposure, which is going to be totally different. When the sun's coming up, it's not quite as bright in an eastern exposure as as it was in the summer. So those things are changing, and you have to realize that leaf drop will happen and all of that. So I always tell people, oh, all my leaves are dropping. I say, that's bug control. You know, it is. Let let the leaves drop a little bit, throw them away, and then watch your plant re-sprout. And then, you know, if you had a bug or two on it, it probably isn't going to be that big of a deal. But what you need to do every few weeks or once a month at least is go through all your plants. And there are certain plants that I know in my greenhouse that are going to cause more problems with bugs. They're going to have more of a white fly or aphid problem, and that usually happens in, in more so in the springtime. But right now what we're seeing is more mealy. Um, I've seen a little bit of scale, which we've never really had so much, but things are getting worse. As more and more people are bringing plants in, they're buying them online, buying them through People that you in the home that you really don't know how they're caring for them, what are they treating them with, if anything. And so people need to be a little bit more aware. We had um, an ag inspector come in just a few days ago, and he's talking about some of the box stores where they have no regulations whatsoever. So be very cautious about that. Isolate your plants when you bring them in, something new. And look at the underside of the leaf and at all the leaf joints. That's the best thing that you can do. And check it frequently. I always like to do a little bit of uh, hand manipulation with some hot soapy water, a little bit of rubbing alcohol. And I do uh, one wad of rags with soapy water on one hand and another one on the other. And I do a little pressure. You can do this outside before you bring your plants in. And you'll a guarantee you're going to get a lot of those bugs that might just be sitting there away. The thing that people don't realize is that bugs fly into your house all year long. And so they could sit and wait. I had a spider mite problem about two years ago. I lost my citrus tree to it because I didn't pay attention. And just this last early December, I have a, an areca palm. And it was going brown and looking funny. And I didn't look at it close enough and it's got spider mite. So what do I do? I don't like to throw anything away. So I'm in with it in the sink with hot soapy water and I'm manipulating it and it looks really good, but I do it three times. Once a week for three times. People just do it once. Those little eggs you're going after? Yeah, you're going after the little mites. You're looking at the webbing. I mean, I'm looking at the soil. I'm removing the top layer of soil. And a lot of it is just timely for people. A lot of people don't want to deal with well, what that. What kind of citrus is it? It was a, uh, 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 oh my gosh. Uh, You're not, talking as if it was past tense. I mean, it is gone. I had to throw it away. It was so it? bad. It was I couldn't even deal with See, it. See, I ended up. I, I got a pit. Of, I got a 50 year old grapefruit tree that's genetically modified. I found out, but I took a pit from a grapefruit back when I, you know, and I threw it in a pot. In a pot, and it mm-hmm. just started germinating. Yeah. So he and I have gone through, you know, purgatory and back. <laughs> So, and I'm not going to get rid of him. Right. And he's got a name, and he's got not not a birth certificate, but I've upcanned. I'm as far as cup canning that I'm going to take him because that got really heavy. Yeah. I did the root pruning. Um, but I take him out to a patio. It doesn't seem to be that susceptible to spider mites because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of an enclosed patio okay. right Okay, yeah. What do you do to prevent those bugs 
from coming in. I mean, for instance, like I said, Scott's got this Garden of Eden, and he includes a pool where it is, but he's got beautiful plants out there. Right. And I'm not going to ask him how because his wife is the one that takes care of him. <laughs> uh, what do you basically recommend? I mean, are you anti anything that you're not going to be consuming? Are you anti systemic insecticides? No. Oh, no, not at all. I think there's a lot of systemics out there. I think just people have to use use it properly. And I think that that's what happens is people who buy over-the-counter, like, systemics or, you know, insect control things don't read the label and a little bit more is better and then you build up resistance. And I think that's what the issue that we're going through as a greenhouse owner the numbers of chemicals that are being developed at this time is increasing because all of the old ones are now non-effective. They're not working. And I I worry about that. I don't want to get all, I mean, I don't want to put on my hazmat suit and spray and not be able to re-enter for 16 hours and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, it's I've had, I've had a tank explode on me one time. We've had. I, 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 you don't want that. My anywhere heart to... races. My skin itches. I bought plants from other places, and when you they say spray... it exploded on you. I mean, was it too much pressure? A tube, in there? yeah, a tube exploded, and all the chemicals went. went and over. I just hosed myself down, and I could feel over the next four hours, my heart was just yeah. racing, and it's, it's. I just don't like that. Now, I, I didn't mean to interrupt right away on this, but when it came down to systemics, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, they took certain insecticides off the markets. Most of them were topical, but there was one systemic, and actually there were two of them. There was a, Isotox was one of them. The other one is called Chloridane. And years and years ago, this is in the 60s, early 70s, the old dudes had come in, I want the Chloridane. Like, what, what do you want to use it for? I mean, we, there was no restrictions. He goes, it's the ant killer. Yeah. But what they would do is they'd put it down every year. There are test plots that are over 25 years old that are still active. And we wonder why there's so much illness. Look at so, malathion. They're using it in California. Oh my gosh, that's it's for frightening. The fruit fly. Oh my gosh, and it's and it's still on the market. It, yeah, people just need to be aware. I mean, I think a little elbow grease sometimes is the way to go first. I get it. There could be a real problem with bugs, and you have a plant that was from a funeral of a loved one or yeah. something, and it's you know 45 years old. I get it. Then you really want to resort to some sort of chemical, oh, but yeah. you also need to be aware. And I just say, you know, pick your favorite day of the month, the fifth of every month, and go check your plants. Or when you're watering, just turn the underside over. It's classic greenhouse. Everybody always said when I was going through school working in the greenhouses, it was classic. Never the person that runs the greenhouse should be the inspector for bugs. That person who is, who is out there looking for bugs should never be that because I don't want to know. It scares me, but I do it, and I just commit to it. And guess what? My ag inspector is probably my best friend because if I don't know, I ask questions. And when he comes in, I throw things at him and say, what's the problem here? What's going on? Because it makes me better. And you can't be afraid of bugs. You really have to just manage numbers. Let's make sure that you know the difference between a beneficial insect and the insects that basically are going to do more harm than good. You right. don't want a mosquito indoors. You don't want a flea or tick indoors. Right. But then at the same time, you don't want to take something. I don't want to promote ladybugs indoors because you can't tell the difference between the Asian lady beetle nowadays right. and the regular state of Ohio bug. Right, um, right. I would like to go back to the soils. Okay. Scott's going back to the soils. Because when, when the garden center gets calls about indoor houseplants, which I know nothing, you know, I'm just a, a laborer um, here and there. 
but everybody's convinced they're the bugs are coming from the soil and only the soil and and you mentioned something about just taking a, a thin layer off, off the, the top. top. Just in case, you know, I turn the pot on the side and scrape away some of the top layers of the soil. Just in case, let's say, you know, a larva or something went down. It's going to just sit there for a little bit and it's going to make its way up the plant and sit and wait. And like I said, that's January and February are really our, our, our busiest months indoors for houseplant bugs. That's really their busiest time. Um, but so, it, but the soap and water massage, I'll call it, is it's good. what you should do first. I, I would do that first, but there's always there's always an exception because would you ever do that to an African violet that's got a furry leaf? No, you know, would you do it to um, some uh, like a fern? Possibly well, just not. How many leaves there are on the front? Right. So, Besides, is that you a know, plant? you've <laughs> got yeah, you've got to you've got to know your plants. Um, there are certain plants that are glossy leaf that are thicker. They can handle all that. You don't just leave harsh soap on your plants. You don't pour soapy water into your pot and try to get your plant to survive uh, soapy dishwater. Or treat it like your own body. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you just you can do that. You can. I usually just. Like I said, I wash my leaves. I, I It doesn't hurt throughout your time. Every once in a while, I remember as a child, Saturday morning, somebody had to sweep. You had to take your sheets yeah, off your that. bed yeah. every time. But one of us, one of my brothers or sisters and I, somebody had to take an old washcloth and dust the leaves of our plants, top and underside. Hmm. And my mom always said, it's good bug control. And I still do that today. And I walk constantly around here i'm always looking if there's a brown leaf i look and see what it is but i'm around it and i know what a leaf looks like if it's infested with spider mite well see now i was more pissed off on saturday mornings because we couldn't watch the cartoons or do anything yeah. until the we were done with chores. our chores and by yeah. that time the cartoons were over yeah and then you're looking at leaves so yeah. you have this from what how old were you then oh gosh i'm sure i was I, i'm sure i was probably in first second third grade okay anywhere oh, from yeah. six to eight years old before you were introduced i couldn't to it. hold the broom because i was too short but scott i'd like to know can we carry this over into another program yeah i, I say we do another indoor plant episode. yeah because i want to finish wrap this one up and I'm finish this but i want to continue on because this goes into leading into spring and taking things outdoors okay. as well. No, that All sounds right. great. Let's All do right. a part two. We're, we're gonna, yeah, episode two is going to be coming up then, right? Yep. Well, Mary Michonne, I want to thank you for this. Could you stick around for a, a little bit longer so we can do another episode on this? I would love to. Oh, thanks. Well, Scott, you got anything to say about your Midwest Garden podcast hanging up or not? No, no. All right. Let's, let's get on with it and get to part two. We're going to get to part two. People, this is really interesting. Mary Michonne... Ben Sells, uh, I'm telling you right now, you got any questions on anything, uh, I don't want to push anything her direction because she's a nice lady and she might get upset with us. But anyways, this is your Midwest Garden Podcast. I'm Michael Rourke. Who are you? I'm Scott Sandstrom. All right, we'll see you next week or whenever you're going to be putting it on again. When are we going to put this on again? Yeah, after this one. After this <laughs> one. Okay. We'll see you after this one, folks. Thanks for listening to your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.